There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. So maybe you've already got a job, maybe it's a good one, but you have a burning desire to do something else and no one believes you can. You guys weren't even restaurateurs, you just, you know, designer and a finance guy. What do, you, what do you guys do? What do you know about restaurants? So many people who said, you guys are nuts opening such a huge restaurant, just coming out of a terrible recession. This is an invitation to meet Des Gunawardner, CEO of D&D Restaurants, which has more than 40 establishments in London, Paris and New York. But it didn't start like that. And the owner of Langer's at the time said, you, you are totally, totally stupid because... You are opening, I've got a 200 cover restaurant, I can't fill. You're opening a, a restaurant which on the first day had 468 covers. I remember it so clearly. What's going to happen is you're going to open, you're going to take half my customers and you're going to be a quarter full, I'm going to be a half full, I'm going to go bust and you definitely are going to go bust too. And he was completely wrong. This is a show about how to prove your doubters wrong with style. <laughs> Actually, he did... I think Langer's probably did better after we opened, but we had we were doing 700, 800 covers a day, so that was terribly exciting. I'm David Marsland, and Dez has invited us to meet him at his most recent London opening, Haugen, in Stratford. We opened this in um, the tail end of September last year, so uh, quite a, a challenging time to open. Uh, it's actually been reasonably busy, but we've, we're sitting upstairs here in, in the restaurant, uh, but because because of the staff shortage situation that we we ran into, um, what we did was we decided to do a phased opening. So we opened the downstairs, which is the brasserie, and we opened the rooftop bar during the summer. And this is going to actually open in March this year. And it's very nice, Des. Tell me a little bit about you know the design of it, this location, got the fountains outside. Why here? Well, we're in this location. The reason we we're, we're doing this, uh, we decided to do this project. Um, was that we were approached by Lendlease, who owned a lot of real estate around here. Uh, and, and they had actually designed this extraordinary building. And they know that we have gone into extraordinary buildings. And so they approached us and said, how would you like to open a restaurant in this extraordinary building? And we looked at it and it looked like, um, it looked like either it could be the Japanese restaurant because it looks like a Japanese pavilion. Uh, but we also thought it looked very much like an alpine, like a ski chalet. So we decided to open a, 
an alpine restaurant here. I can hear the phone going off there, Dad. Do you think that's some bookings coming in? I mean, you said you were, you know, initially there might have been some struggles, but are, are things picking up? Well, actually, the initial struggles here were not so much getting, getting bookings, getting customers. We were fairly busy. The initial struggle was getting staff. What happened was that the, the bounce back when we reopened our lockdown last year was quite strong. But in London, it wasn't quite so strong return to restaurants as it was outside the UK. But in September, when we launched Halgen, finally people started to come back into the, the heart of the city and, and our restaurants like Quaglino's and 100 Wardle Street, which is the West End and the city restaurants all started to get very busy, which meant a lot of pressure on staff. Now we've got the reverse situation, which is that we've had this, you know, working from home and Omicron. We've now gone from having a staff shortage issue to having a customer shortage issue. Central London has had a really, really tough Omicron. We have uh, restaurants in Leeds and Manchester as well as restaurants overseas. Leeds and Manchester have not seen a downturn, whereas since the middle of December, when Omicron first, you know, when the, when the number of cases started going up and we had the direction from government that people should um, work from home, uh, Central London lost, lost 50-60% of its business. Again, nothing like that outside London or in the suburbs. Given that situation that you were just talking about then, obviously you've been in the restaurant trade for a little bit of time, Des. Do you envy people joining it now? Would you recommend opening a brand new restaurant now? If you've never opened a restaurant, I don't think it's a great time to open a new restaurant because COVID has has had a massive impact and the volatility that COVID has created has made it quite difficult to, to manage a restaurant business. I mean, people like us, we've been, I've been around the restaurant business for decades. So we've got the experience to be able to, to, to get through it. If you are a small restaurant company, you probably don't want to really, you know, take on that risk. But you've got, I mean, I think in the long term, it's a great business because long term, people are going to eat out more. And if anything, the impact of COVID where people have been working from home and sitting in front of screens has made them even realize even more how important to their lives um, meeting their friends and going out to eat is. So I think when the, the immediate issues of COVID and, and you know, you being ill and therefore can't go out, and, and when, when, when we get the, the, this properly under control, and we will, um, then I think I think the long-term prospects of the restaurant business are actually quite quite good. That's actually something that I wanted to talk to you about because we've done on other podcasts and we've written about it a lot in the Evening Standard, trying to think about what London would be like without its restaurants. But actually, that's something that you sort of know about because when you guys first started up, we didn't have this great scene of these magnificent restaurants all over the city centre. So what is London without restaurants? Well, I can talk about the London restaurant scene when we first got into it. Jack Chirac, you remember Jack Chirac? The former French president. He was, uh, he was over here for a summit and he gave an interview and he said, he said, the food in Britain is terrible. He said, in fact, it's the worst food in Europe apart from Finland. <laughs> I don't know what he what he had against Finland, but um, I mean, look, I mean, the food scene was to, was when we first opened um, Quaglino's. I guess was the first big restaurant that everyone everyone raved about. And in in a period of about twenty five years, I think we went from being the laughing stock of the food world to arguably the hottest 
city in the world along with New York for, for food and, and as a country as well I'm not just saying London I think the food scene in the UK has has you know has moved forward in leaps so tell me why you went into this trade because you were an accountant really weren't you Des? why go into restaurants when there isn't even really a scene there at the time when you moved in well it wasn't me really deciding to go into restaurants I met a man called Terence Conran he was a great designer. But again, not a restaurateur, really, was he? No, he wasn't. He wasn't restaurateur. He was a designer, but he um, he loved France, actually. He loved French restaurants. And he, Finland? He, he, no, I'm, I don't think he ever, he ever went to experienced restaurants. Maybe he did, but he never talked to me about his experience of Finnish restaurants. Um, but he just thought the food in, in Britain was very drab compared with the food in other parts of Europe, and particularly France. He had this ambition of, of bringing something of the excitement of the French restaurant scene to to London, and he uh, and the first project that he did when when we became business partners was Quaglino's, which was really the the creation of a of a French brasserie, but it was a modern version. It was much more exciting. It was a you know modern design and and looked super glamorous. So that was really the uh, that was really how I got into the restaurant business. And I went to work with him, and I went to work with him because. Uh, I love design, and uh, my background was finance. But I also worked before. I worked with Terence Conran with Gerald Ronson, who was a great property guy, and so I was very interested in property, design, building places, and that's really why I started working with Terence. Uh, and then Terence um, was very keen on getting into restaurants, so I got into restaurants. Was it seeing a market gap then, and an opportunity there? I don't think it was. I don't think it was seeing a market gap. It was. Um, uh, from a business point of view, I think it was a case of frustration that there weren't great restaurants in, in, in London, whereas there were in other cities like Paris and, and in New York. And that's really what got us into the restaurant business. And then having opened restaurants, because at, the, at, the, at that time, uh, when I was the CEO in terms of the chairman of Conrad, we had a design company which had been there for a long time. We also had a retail business, a home furnishings retail business, which we expanded from one store to half a dozen stores all over the world. But what we found with the restaurant business was in financially the most exciting because we opened restaurant, um, we opened Quack Leaders, couldn't believe how much revenue we did. I mean, people were coming for lunch at 11 o'clock and dinner at 5 o'clock because they couldn't get a table at, at a sensible times of the day. So, uh, so we, yeah, we, we, we found that it was a great business financially, uh, having got into it, not really for that got into it because you know there was you know, he I mean he was the founder of, 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 the, of the restaurant business and I bought the business off him and developed obviously business together with him um, but he had a great frustration that there was you know there wasn't there weren't great restaurants in, in the UK. I wonder how many businesses have been started because someone thought why can't I do this and then thought I'm just gonna have to do it myself. I think quite a few businesses have, uh, have been started off like like that, I remember speaking to um, Julian Metcalf about Pret a Manger, and I said, "You know, why would you why do you go into it? It seems such a tough business. You know, selling sandwiches and um, it's very low spend, and you have to do a lot of so a lot of customers to make a profit." And he said, "You know, I got into it. He and with his partner Sinclair Beecham, because I think they were in they were real estate guys, and they were in Victoria. They couldn't get a decent sandwich." <laughs> <laughs> These sandwiches are terrible. And so they decided to open, I think they opened their first prep in, in Victoria Station. So it is a concept of if you've got a good idea, go with it. But where do you start? Where would you start if you, you were starting off 
as some kind of entrepreneur, maybe not in the restaurant trade, but with something else, where, how do you begin? Is it, is it purely about finding that money first? The start is having an idea which you really are convinced is going to be successful. Then you've got to get the money. Unfortunately, if, you've, if you're someone who's never, ever um, set up a business or you haven't worked and proved yourself as a businessman and you have a fantastic idea, it's actually quite difficult to, to get money. And so you have to rely... You have to start probably small. You can't suddenly say, listen, I've never been in the restaurant business, so I'm going to open a restaurant like Haugen, which is, you know, big £5 billion investment. You're not likely to be able to do that. You'll open something small, smaller, and, and maybe you'll get cash from your mates or from your parents and friends, club together, and you open your first, first restaurant or whatever business you're in, and you find that it's hopefully it's massively successful and... Um, uh, and then that's the beginning for you to um, to 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 build you know build something a bit bigger. At some point, if you do very well, you're going to think about international expansion. When did you think we can take this elsewhere, places like New York, for example? Why did you make that decision? What made you think now's the time? In the 1990s, we'd opened these restaurants, and they were very successful. They were written about a lot. And the press was writing a lot about our restaurants and the Conrad restaurants. And then people, you know, once the press starts writing, you know, they get bored with the story. And um, they started saying, oh, there are too many of these Conrad restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> London and UK has been Conradized. <laughs> and, and I remember reading an article in a paper. And um, it wasn't an article, it was a letter some, a woman had written this letter and she said, I, I built this new kitchen in my house and somebody came in and said, oh, it looks like a Conrad restaurant. <laughs> and she was very upset by this. <laughs> she said, what can I do? And I remember thinking, I said to Terence, oh, maybe there are too many <laughs> restaurants here. We'd better open restaurants somewhere else. So we decided to go and open a restaurant in Paris. And that's not the, I joke, that wasn't the only reason, but there was a sense that we started believing the press that perhaps you know, we'd opened, I don't know, seven or eight restaurants, perhaps we'd done enough over here. And so we opened, we went overseas, went to Paris and also went to New York. Um, then subsequently, I learned that actually you shouldn't really listen to, you shouldn't, certainly shouldn't take the press too seriously and you shouldn't even listen too much to advisors. Yes, listen, but... But be your own, be your own judge. And uh, what we found was that we then started reopening restaurants in, in, in Britain, and they were massively successful. And it was much tougher, actually, uh, uh, making profits and being successful overseas. So, uh, uh, yeah, you should trust your judgment and look at the facts rather than opinion, which sometimes is based on, you know, not very much really. Yeah. And, and connecting on to that, but moving forward a few years, you, of course, set up what is now D&D restaurants. You bought Terence Conrad now, I think. That's an interesting name, particularly when you look at an international aspect. I can imagine there might have been at least one company that was interested in your name, the Dungeons and Dragons. When we changed our name, and actually the reason we changed our name was Terence said, look, I'm not involved anymore. You don't want to use my name. So we, you know, we had lots and lots of chatted in the office about what we got ourselves and then we opted for this. And um, I think initially, it took quite a few years when you Google D&D &D to get, 
get ourselves up there being as 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 popular as dungeons and dragons um and people did make some not very complimentary comments about oh you D D sounds like a sounds like you're a bunch of plumbers and actually they thought that was an insult but i actually think plumbing is really important you know in a restaurant business when you go when you go into a restaurant the first thing i actually look look at is well where does the you know how do the services work how does the where does the food come in where does the rubbish go out how does the ever eagle work so i didn't think i didn't take it as much of an insult as they thought I, that i should do uh but no d no d, d did not and other people thought we sound like a hairdressers uh but you know what after what happens with with names is that is that once once you have a name and whatever you think about it you start doing stuff and uh, and using your name and then your your name starts to get the personality of what you actually do so now actually people say to me yeah it's a great name it's great that um not all not everybody realizes that it stands for des and david it's my business partner um but uh, people seem to quite quite like quite like the name now right i'm going to check out the menu here i quite like the sound of the fondue brunch and while i'm doing that here are some advertisers want to chat with you if you're enjoying this conversation hit your follow or subscribe button there are lots of people we'd like you to meet through the series and of course if you think others could benefit give us a rating and a review and your podcast provider will take notice and shout about us we'd be very grateful back in a sec what about the future for you what about the future for D? you've come through this pandemic when business effectively stopped do you feel confident now moving forward are there opportunities for you going through something like the pandemic is actually uh, in terms of businesses is a period of difficulty you know extremely difficulty really is, is good because it makes you question everything and you can we we close down all our restaurants and then we reopen them all and we've reopened them in a way that we think is better than they were when they closed so so we've looked at everything that we do in terms of menus how we run the restaurants our costs and how we could be more successful marketing wise and so i i think we've reopened as better restaurants the pandemic though has taught us the um the fragility of the business that we're we're in and um and i think the uh, our business and 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 travel aviation all the all these all these businesses have been massively impacted and and, and people would people, some people would say well uh hospitality has been well financially supported and um i think outside london and if you're running small restaurants that's probably true i would say compared with the other cities in which we trade countries in which we trade france and U- the us uh we have not been rem- as remotely as well supported as we have been in those countries so we have lost money and had to put substantial funding into the business in order to in order to keep it alive and in order to keep it here for for future success so i think when i look when i look ahead and think to the post pandemic world we really do need to make our business and the economy actually robust enough to be able to survive future viruses or future ec- economic or medical shocks that we have and I'm not convinced yet that we have we figured that out and it's been you know quite a shock to me how say omicron which for most people I mean my wife had omicron um has really turned out to be not much more than a bad cold 
Um, we didn't know that for sure, but I think the failure of ha- of a of, of a mechanism to protect um, businesses like ours and people, um, we've had to pay all our staff. Even though in central London, we've our restaurants have not even been half full uh, because they've got livelihoods and they've got rent to pay and they've got kids and mortgages. And whereas in the in the um, lockdown we were supported um, through furlough, and so we weren't through this. So I think we do need to, uh, and I'm sure there are other. It's not just the restaurant business; other people have suffered as well. We do need, uh, as a country and as an economy, to, to 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 make sure that you know that we that, that we have a strategy for dealing with a world which may be very different from the world that we've lived in for the last 20, 30 years. Because it might be that we have to get used to. You know, every now and then we have to have little Omicrons coming along. Uh, and we've got to work out the, the, the way to deal with them medically, how to deal with things like that happening, but, but also economically how to, to protect the economy. And I'm certain that we haven't yet worked that out. Do you have a strategy if this happens again? <laughs> we, we, have a, we, have a, we have a strategy, which is, to, which is to, to do everything that we can in order to, you know, in order to reduce our costs and use our cash to, to keep the businesses alive. Uh, and and we're sufficiently well financed to be able to to do that. the the problem uh, the problem becomes if you have too many of them or they're they're too acute and you don't have the the, the, the government support, you know then you have to make very tough decisions like not have, having to let people go. If we if we were in a situation where we were we were very weak financially, um, we'd have had the absolutely ludicrous position we'd have been put in the ludicrous position of having to let half our staff go for two months when we knew we needed them back and probably had didn't have enough of them when the restaurants reopened and reopened and, and were were 100 full um so yes we have a plan but no plan unless you unless you have you know you have unlimited amounts of cash can withstand you know anything any shock like um, COVID. So we talked about your future, but what about the future of this city, this great city that we're living in now? You're working across lots of places internationally. How is London comparing? I think without a shadow of a doubt, London has got big challenges ahead. In the UK, um, we trade in London. We're also in uh, Leeds, Manchester and Bristol. Manchester and Leeds particularly, we've we can't make a judgment too much on Bristol because we've only had a restaurant. We actually opened the restaurant during COVID. Have had very have had relatively good COVIDs, and what does that mean? That means that they didn't suffer quite as much in the downturn. They recovered very quickly in in the lockdowns, and they recovered very quickly post lockdown uh, because people returned to the center the center of those cities, and people returned to shop and and, and eat out. London that had did not happen in London. Um, it, it took several months before London started to recover. It was really, we reopened in May, and I think it was only really middle of September before the, uh, the central London economy really started to get back to where it was pre-COVID. And once again, with the, the most recent um, bout of COVID, London, it's been central London that, that, that suffered. Um, so I think the, 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 there are the, the short-term, short-term impact of that, and, and New York Midtown, which is where we are, where we have, we have three businesses there, really suffered in the same way. 
Now, there's a short-term impact of that, and how do uh, businesses in London recover from it? There's also a long-term impact, which in some ways is more is more important. And in the long term, we're going to have to work out the, in, in, with the reality of however much people go back to work, would they're not going to go back to work five days a week uh, with the same numbers of people in central London. So there is going to be less of our space occupied by offices, fewer workers. Now, there's a question mark also about tourism. Are the tourism numbers going to recover to pre-COVID levels? I mean, whatever, when you, when you do the thinking and the maths, London is, there's going to be less demand, I think, in London. The economy is going to, the economy of London is likely to get smaller, not larger. And, and the people who have an interest in, in, in London have got to have a strategy to replace um, the, the, the lowering of demand from office workers and potentially from tourists with other things, more culture, more restaurants, more activities, uh, active activities uh, and, and, and things which bring people together. Because one thing that London has is, is, is the centre of London, which is what I'm talking about, the suburbs are, are not so affected. They've had a relatively good COVID. People have been working from home and their economies have got better. But the thing that London has is, is it, it is a place which brings people together. So if I have friends in North London, and if we meet, we don't tend to go, I don't go so much to North London or them to South London, which is where I live. We tend to meet in the middle. So the more more places that we can create for entertainment, for meeting each other in the centre of the city, the, the more likely that the, the cities will thrive. New York is going through the same existential crisis. Now, you know, that's quite a big emotive phrase but I really do think it's even more acute there because in New York New York is fighting against other cities which have taken their parts of important parts of their economy in particular Miami so Miami is lower tax less expensive to live more sunshine and 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 the restaurants are getting better and people are saying well why am I bothering to go and go to the center of New York and work in the center of New York when it's twice as expensive, it's you know it's tough to get around. The sun doesn't shine so much, and so New York. I mean, they've got a new mayor there. Is going through that. Is trying to work out what it. What's great about New York? It's about the culture. It's about the theatres. It's about the restaurants. And you need to make people think, realize that that's there, which is not in, is not so prevalent in other cities. I don't think London has got the uh, immediate threat. Of, uh, I, don't, I think Manchester is, has not got the same relationship um, with London as, as, say, Miami has with New York. Miami is out there taking business from New York, saying, saying to people, don't live in New York, come and live in Miami. And they're saying the same to people on the west coast of the US who have also gone there. So, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a fight for cities um, for, to get people to come and live in them. And, 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 I, and I, think, you know, I don't think people, we've got to grips with that yet. This is a going through COVID, we're soon going to be out of COVID and we're going to be in post-COVID world trying to work out how to make cities vibrant and exciting and wealthy. Do you feel that restaurants haven't then been considered as important enough before? Is there an element of that? Is there a snobbery about the restaurant? Is there a, it's not banking, it's just a restaurant. People realise that restaurants are, are important to the economy. And I think people have appreciated through COVID, I've seen a lot of goodwill towards restaurants. Uh, does the government think of restaurants as being important to the economy? 
I don't, I don't know. I, I, they should do. I'll give you a good example. I was, um, I once. This is about seven or eight years ago. I was at this conference and I was talking to the to the mayor of Buenos Aires, and as you um, do, as you do. <laughs> it was a London First. I was in, I was involved with London First at the time. I was director of London First, and, I, and it was a London First organised event. And he 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 was actually on a platform, and I talked to him afterwards, and he said the most important thing for me in the next few years is to make Buenos Aires the food capital of South America. And everyone thought, why is he talking about that? You know, why isn't he talking about building roads and getting, you know, getting, making the banking system better and so on? He, he said the reason for that, five years ago, maybe it's five, maybe it's 10 years ago, Buenos Aires had four million tourists a year. And Lima had two million tourists a year. Today, Lima has 4 million tourists a year, but Buenos Aires still only has 4 million tourists a year. And the only reason is Peruvian food. Peruvian food become, has become incredibly fashionable and very good quality, and they go to the restaurants. And restaurants, they are a, um, an important part of culture. They're an important part of when people decide to go and visit a country. Oh, are they good restaurants? It's, all, it's also important. Um, when people decide whether to live in a country, you've got to remember if you, it may be that you want to attract the banker because the banker is going to, uh, or the technology guy who's going to be building, you know, a, a great business in your in your city, but that technology guy wants to live in a city that there's there's livable, that's got culture, that's got restaurants, that's got coffee bars, that's got you know people that can do your garden, you know, all these things are a very important part of life. You know, restaurants are an important important part of life, and that is an important part of how your economy works. Looking back across your career, what's the most exciting bit? Was it the first booking? Was it the first opening? What really do you think is it? You know, what that I if I could experience that again, I'd love to. Well, that's quite a um, quite a big question for someone who's been around for so long. <laughs> um, I guess I get. I mean, I can. Some things that I've found have been huge highlights. I mean, very early on in the, um, uh, very early on when we opened Wagnino's was an amazing. I mean, we were so um, so taken aback at how successful it was, and uh, I think um, opening in New York first would be opening in New York uh, because that's where you you know restaurateurs. I think a lot of people feel that if that you're never really successful globally unless you've done something in New York. And and we were super successful when we when we first opened there, then it became a bit more difficult to manage because New York's a tough city. And then I think when we when my third thing I third most exciting thing in my business life has been D D really, with David Lowy, my business partner, buying uh, the restaurant business and uh, and again, you know, people thinking, well D and D, who the hell are they? Are they, as they, are they something to do with Dungeons and Dragons, or are they the local plumbers? Who are these guys? And then, um, and and would they be successful without Terence Conrad? And um, and you know, we've uh, well, you know, you can be the judge of that. Um, so I think that we would, you know, we would that that's been a big part of uh, what I look back at and think has been one of the most exciting times of my life. 
For more on D&D restaurants, go to dndlondon.com. And for more interviews, features and breaking news, it's always a good idea to make our business pages at the Evening Standard a go-to destination. We're in the newspaper or go to standard.co.uk forward slash business. We've got another invitation to meet next week. I'll see you then. It's been a pleasure to meet you. <laughs>